This episode is sponsored by UMSO, the website builder for startups. So I work with startups. So when I needed to build my own website, I decided to try UMSO. I needed something that was polished yet super easy because I'm not a developer and that didn't break the bank. And I've been with them ever since. Beyond my homepage, I've built out my blog, my podcast page, and my pricing page. Highly recommend UMSO to get your website off the ground. Visit umso.com slash MSM to learn more and use the code MSM20 for a 20% discount on your first three months. There was an underserved community of people that were called customer success managers, and they were tasked with churn you know, mitigation and, and hitting the renewal target and upsell. But there was no brand that was really serving that audience or trying to resource them or advance the, the, their interests. And so we did a, a weird thing. We hosted an event. Pretty early on, again, it was a little bit of a bet from a financial perspective, but we hosted an event for customer success people all about customer success, not about us, not about our, our brand, not about our products. And we brought some speakers leveraging a lot of our relationships in the venture world and, and other places. And it became this like huge moment for the industry. We almost like kicked off our, our community effort there. And this like no name brand got 300 CSMs in a room in San Francisco to actually validate and say back that yes i i feel seen i feel like you know you guys are are speaking my language if you're looking to up your startup marketing game you're in the right place this podcast will help you simplify prioritize and see big wins from your marketing efforts every week you'll hear from some of the world's best venture-backed startup founders marketing leaders and startup experts about marketing brand, growth, what's working well, challenges, and how crazy and fun marketing can be when you're at a high growth startup. See ya inside. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I want to introduce you guys to Anthony Canada. He has joined me today. He's actually a B2C marketer trapped in a B2B body. And I think I'm going to start using more of that because I love that. And before I dive into more about you, Anthony, can I just ask you, what does that mean? Because I have an idea of what that means for me. What does that mean for you? Yeah, I mean, I think I I grew up as a marketer, not obsessing over what other B2B companies are doing. I was watching like late night television and seeing like what the trends are and like, you know, and media and all these types of things. And so that's really where I got my inspiration from, from Disney and some of these other folks. And so along the course of my B2B marketing journey, I've tried to like bring a lot of the consumer insights into how we run, build brand and B2B, how we engage our communities and all these types of things. And that's kind of where I get my energy from. It's where I get my passion, just thinking about like humans behind the logos that we're trying to market and sell to. So that was sort of a, a pithy line I came up with on my LinkedIn profile. Well, I love it. I think it makes a lot of... It's just a very easy way to explain your marketing mindset to people. Because I hate to say it, but B2B world is still trying to ride that same wave that B2C world has already figured out. Because they had to, because they didn't have the complexities with salespeople and processes that sales goes through. And now how do we bring marketing into the story? It was just like sell. Marketing, yeah. to, that needs to sell, right? Yeah. So I just love that line. And I might 
start using it. So (laughs) great. Okay. So more about Anthony. He's been the CMO of Happen and Front and has worked at Box, Live Office, and Semantic. So I'm sure folks have heard of some of, at least some of these companies. And you're also the founding CMO of Gainsight, where you and the team created the customer success category. So some category creation going on. And you were able to fuel the company's growth from zero to 100 million plus ARR. And eventually the company got acquired by Vista Equity at a 1.1 billion valuation. Pretty awesome. And now you're working on something new. And I don't know how much you want to talk about it, but maybe we'll get to it at some point within this episode. It's something called Audience Plus. And there's a landing page where you can put your email in. And that's about it for now. Yeah, it's pretty top secret for now, but not for very long. I think we'll we'll be able to share more about what we're building. Um, I know we're going to talk about a lot of topics that are super relevant to what we're building, but this is a, a jump I'm making from operator, from CMO, from marketer to founder. So it's been exciting, been learning a whole lot, but this feels like sort of the culmination of everything I've learned as a B2C marketer trapped in a B2B body to try to kind of build build software, build community, and build content to help kind of bring in a new chapter for our industry. I love that. And I'm very excited for you. And yes, we'll dive into some of the topics that are meaningful for what you're building, I'm sure. But before we start, I just want to mention that there's a survey that's in the show notes. And I would love for my listeners to please go to the show notes, click on that link, fill out that survey. It's going to take you three minutes, I promise. I just want to understand more about my listeners. I want to understand what they love about the show, what they want more of, what they want less of, and just get better insights, right? That's what marketers love to do is get insights from their audience. So please do that. And I thank you for it. And so back to the question. So let's start with this one, Anthony. Companies are increasingly becoming media companies. You actually, that's actually how we got connected through Pavilion. And you were talking about this. So I know you believe it, that this is happening. Why is this the case? Why is it easier today to do this? Why do you think that it's a big deal going into the future? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's, I don't know how easy it is, but I'd say that it's existential that every company does this in the next chapter. and, And here's why. The con- when we say content marketing in B2B, historically, what do we meant? We meant blog posts. And content was this sort of performance marketing type thing that we did. We hired writers. They produced content and optimized for search. And we leveraged that to drive organic traffic to our website, drive you know conversions on our contact sales form. This was the world that HubSpot really and others evangelized around inbound marketing. And for many years, it worked. And it worked great for for myself in those marketing roles you mentioned, and I think for marketers all over the world, it was a big part of how we grew our revenue ultimately pipeline. But a lot's changed. We actually got some new information now that we didn't have before. First is that there's so many more content formats that have emerged really from the consumer world that are now making its way into business. Here we are on a podcast right now. You know, Brands are embracing and consumers are engaging with short form video, long form video. They're participating in live streams. And a lot of these more sort of editorial type of formats that are challenging the our preconceived notions about content marketing. Second is that the rules around consumer data privacy are changing. So 
marketers have used third-party cookies to retarget traffic when folks left our site. Third-party cookies are blocked today on most major browsers. And next year, uh, in 2023, Google's blocking it from Chrome, which represents, I think, 60% of web traffic. So paid media is going to get so much harder. And it really places this renewed importance on first-party data, on capturing content engagement, event attendance, all these types of things, building your first-party data set, and then engaging that data set to drive business outcomes. And so then the third bit that's really kind of making this now an imperative is there's this growing distrust of third-party networks like social media, YouTube, and others. And the reason for that started, I think, with like the consumer, like you are the product type of a thing. There's like that Netflix movie, the, the Social Dilemma. But brands are starting to pay attention to this too, because your organic reach on these third-party networks is limited by an algorithm that you don't control. And the incentives in general are completely misaligned. These are ad products that are monetizing your audience and your content in order to drive their revenue. So ultimately, what folks are doing is sort of deplatforming. They're saying, how can I take my followership on Twitter or on YouTube or Spotify and bring it into somewhere where I actually have their email address and we're building our own audience that we own that relationship and we can drive distribution of our content directly into that audience where if an algorithm change occurs or a new platform comes up, then we still have sort of that relationship built. And a lot of that is also predicated in the creator economy. We're seeing a lot of folks kind of having that same kind of realization at the same time. So you put all of these trends together. What we're really saying is we need a new approach to be able to engage our audience, to build our audience, to capture that first party data, to understand how the consumption of our content across all of these different formats is impacting business outcomes. And really the best example of companies that have done this before are media companies. So this might be sort of a, a trope or a mantra that has been out there for a while. Every company is going to be a media company, but now it's becoming an imperative. And I think that those are the reasons why. I think you laid it out really nicely with the three points around the new content formats being one, the rules about data privacy changing being two, and the growing distrust of third-party networks networks yeah. being three. And then you we started talking about, or you started talking about, like, we need a new approach to capturing yeah. first-party data. And yeah. I think that's actually still quite difficult of the how. Yeah. How do we capture first-party data? It's yeah. been so natural to get on the ad platform, so natural to get create blog posts, try to get people to come to your website, read the blog posts. Yeah. Maybe they're searching for you. Maybe you're ranking. Maybe you're not. But something that is a little bit harder to grasp is now that we have built an audience somewhere else, how do we bring them back to us? How do we get their email address? And it's yeah. a nice segue into gating content because I yeah. think that's how companies have tried to solve for this is to yeah. gate content. I've seen all sorts of content gated from case studies to like articles white to white papers, like everything. So what do you think about gating content? I don't know if you love it that much, but... What do you think yeah. about the gating content? And how do we think about what is the right way to grab the first party data moving forward? Yeah. You know, it's one of those things that like, it speaks to this, I feel like it's the theme for a show, like this disconnecting B2B and B2C marketing, where for a B2B demand marketer, like gating an ebook feels natural and right. But when you think about like how we as consumers interact with content, 
like I rarely will give a brand my email address to download in a content asset and I'm in marketing, right? Like I've done this before. And so I think there's a growing change in how like consumers have like figured us out. <laughs> they figured out that like, okay, so if I give you my email address or a phone number, you're going to spam me until I take a demo or unsubscribe. And then I don't want that white paper that bad. So my sort of controversial approach here is I don't think gating content is the right answer. I think what folks are starting to do and what we're starting to see with like the streaming services and all these different things is what you really want to gate is access to membership of your brand or your community or your thought leadership. And that's a much different value proposition because you're not saying there's this one like ebook that we don't want to give you until you give us your information. It's saying we are producing exclusive content. We are producing premium content at a cost to us as a brand that's exclusive to members of our community. And you can join our community for free just by signing up. And we're seeing a little bit of that with like Substack and what they're doing in the newsletter game, right? Um, so I think that is a mindset shift for marketers. And it's borrowing a bit from the consumer world of saying, you know, when we're on social media, you know, I think we can sort of deplatform our audience by showing clips of perhaps a podcast just like this, and then link back to the sort of owned media platform on our property, where we can actually then consume like the rest of that content if we're interested. And some of that content should be totally free and top of funnel and awareness oriented. And the hope is that they will eventually subscribe if they feel like that's, you know, something that they want to learn more from. And some of that content might be exclusive only to subscribers. And that's the best way to sort of get that point of conversion into the audience, into your sort of audience and community. So that's, I think, where we're headed. Now, are we there yet? No, I think we're still definitely like using HubSpot Marketo forums and gaining kind of some late stage assets. So I think that there's going to be sort of a shift happening here, but it's a familiar one because we've already done it and on the streaming services. We've already done it in our personal lives. So my sense is that's where we're headed here in, in the short to medium term. Yeah. And also, I think there's something to be said around when you're putting content out and people are paying for it. Mm -hmm. That's the level of the content that you yeah. should be putting out. The question is like, will people actually pay for this to get yeah. something like this? We just spent X budget creating this new ebook. Will, yeah. Would people actually pay for this? And I think that's a nice litmus test to figure out if it's a good one or not. Well, think about the creators, right? Like the creators are building their businesses off of monetizing their content. And so they're basically saying, I put together this 100 page guide to becoming a millionaire on Airbnb or whatever, right? And folks are saying, you know, I'll pay 100 bucks for that, that ebook. And that's how these folks are building their businesses. I don't know if that would happen in B2B completely, but I will say, if you're able to sort of introduce this like premium tier of membership of your community, think about bringing in some of your other offline programs that we're used to spending a lot of money on, like events and these different things and saying, look, for free members, you get a discount to our event when we come to Chicago or we come to New York City or whatever. But if you're a premium member, your reg is already kind of, you know, paid for. This is actually introducing in a weird way, a revenue channel for marketing to offset some of your production expenses for things like events or content or these other things. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how that trend kind of makes its way into, into the B2B marketing team. But I definitely think it's coming. I love that. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I, I love just thinking about the possibilities, right? Because we're only scratching the surface. We're trying to level up our content and the possibility to even create some revenue 
for marketing from because yeah. the content is so good and you have subscribers is fascinating to me. Yeah. So we talked about how you don't believe content should be gated, but there's a better way, right? Yeah. If you produce content, people pay for it to subscribe to receive exclusive content, be part of the community, be part of the brand, like membership to become part of the the membership community for your yeah. brand. Is there anything else that you would add that yeah. could be done? Like what can companies do instead? Just take the gates off and just be yeah. cool with no email addresses? Like, is that another route? Yeah. Um, are email addresses necessary? Or can you just take that off and just give the people what they want? And then yeah. once they're ready, they'll come inbound. I think that's like uh, an experiment worth doing. If you talk to like the, the Chris Walkers of the world and folks that are really thinking a lot about dark social, I think that's sort of the some of the prevailing thought is, look, like the traditional like lead to revenue funnel is completely broken. So just do a bunch of stuff. And when folks come to you, they'll come to you. But I think it's really hard for a CMO or a head of demand that is facing a, a pipeline target for this quarter, next quarter to like, you know, keep that goal on sort of a hope and a prayer. I think we need a little more science to actually, you know, orchestrate that process. And so my sort of foundational thought is like, We've been trying to kill email for like 40 years. <laughs> like there's got to be a better way. Email's dead. Email is still the number one tool for engaging your community and engaging your audience. Man, I've tried hosting a conference where we've promoted on social. We've come up with all these crazy ways to try to drive ticket sales. And literally the only way we'd actually get people to convert and sign up for our, our event, sign up for our conference, is by emailing them. It's the number one engagement tool between a brand and an audience. And in fact, as our social feeds get noisier and noisier email is a sort of protected space where you know you sort of feel more protective over it and you root out emails that you don't want to receive and so i think for ones that do get through it's a huge place of you know point of validation that they want to hear from you so i think that helps lead to better conversion so i'm a pro email advocate here and i think especially for b2b that's going to be the currency that the first party data, but like through really understanding the email address of your audience is going to be the main currency for building brand, you know, moving forward as it has been, as it has been for years. Absolutely. Yeah. Email's not dead. Not dead. Whenever I hear like something is dead, it's usually not. Dead. Yeah. Books aren't dead. Totally. We'll still totally. read them. So let's kind of sway the conversation over to community led marketing a little bit because we talked about even in this idea of like the gating content, don't gate your content. Think about streaming services. Think about how they do it. They're building the membership. They're building community. So community-led marketing, let's first define it. What does this mean? How does it work? And how do you think early stage startups can leverage community-led yeah. marketing? Yeah, I think this goes back to the B2C kind of analogy here where We've spent so much time in B2B marketing, positioning the what, positioning our products, and maybe even the how, like through you know, the different channels in which we tell our story and these types of things. But we've really undervalued talking about the why. And at the end of the day, this is where consumer companies spent all of their time really positioning the why because of this sort of attention economy that's out there. How do you kind of break through? And the truth is that people buy products emotionally. That is the primary driver of how people make purchasing decisions. So your ability as a brand to actually connect with like the, an emotional cord with your audience, 
build relationship with them and exchange value well ahead of even a, a business transaction. That's sort of the determinant of sort of overall success. If you look at like acquiring pipeline, acquiring leads basically through a paid media kind of transaction type of a thing, or a, you know, if I may, even some product led channels as well, where you're sort of just like buying that conversion versus actually using content and community and, and events and, and all of these other kind of formats to educate and inspire and yeah, win that conversion off of an, a value exchange instead of a transaction. The sort of like CACT LTV on those leads is so much higher, it's so much better because people actually want to be a part of what you're building. So that's when we say community-led growth, I think that's sort of the spirit behind it. It's suggesting that there is a exchange of value that is not transaction and it may not even be your product. It might be your thought leadership. It might be your, through your content, your events and all these different types of things. Now, community doesn't have to mean just your customers. I think that's an important nuance too. Your customer community matters deeply, but you also have this broader kind of bigger TAM of people who care about what you have to say. And through your thought leadership efforts, you're educating them and you're inspiring them. And so what ends up happening is you're building this, like, obviously I'm building a great brand, but you're also building a competitive moat around yourself as a company because products can be commoditized or copied or all these types of things. But the way a community or the market kind of perceives you or feels about you and your brand, that's very hard to take away. So I think very tactically on a brass tax perspective, we had sort of the marketing led growth, which is sort of the MQL world we kind of all kind of grew up in in B2B. We've had product-led growth, which is, you know, kind of growth hacks basically on the website to get folks to get into a freemium version of the product using data and instrumenting the product to drive kind of activation. I think, you know, I think there's room for that still in the world. But I, I believe that by investing in building a brand and a community and serving them through content and events and thought leadership as a broader category, what you're going to find is a lot of people that are validating the problem that you're out there evangelizing. They're saying, yes, I believe what you're saying. And that's going to create much more of a scalable way to actually convert them into customers. And they'll want to be with you longer because you're not just this utility as a product. You're a, a strategy partner. You're someone that's helping them sort of self-actualize on their own career journey, whether at this job where they're signing the contract or the one afterwards where they'll take you kind of with them. So I think that's the big nuance. It's not that those strategies are bad that preceded it, but this is like the sustainable kind of human first way to grow a business in this next chapter. And I think some real industry leading companies are already doing this and already thinking about it. But I think this is going to be the next kind of big buzzword or whatever in marketing kind of moving forward. There's so much that good that comes from community led marketing and to your point of it's not just the customers it's more than that it's bigger than that it's like whatever you're talking about it touches more people and they might be more junior people they not necessarily the level that you're trying to hit but they're the ones that still feel it and still and are you know active on social media and are talking about this stuff and are rooting for you and i see it in the podcast as well with the podcast where there's you know, certain age range of people that are listening. But then the second age range is younger. Mm. And I'm expecting that to happen because yes, startup founders and marketing leaders are listening to the show, VC firms, right? 
But then there's also a lot of the people that are still learning and figuring stuff out that should be listening to some of this content that I'm putting out on the podcast. So, and it's helpful across the board. Yeah, totally. So I feel that. Cool. How can early stage startups leverage community-led marketing? Let's say you're seed funded or series A, and I'm a big believer in like, get your marketing started right away because yeah. you you need to believe and, you know, have this mindset that marketing needs to create revenue from the get-go and should be tightly aligned with sales team, with your sales process. So how can this commu- idea of building community yeah. be leveraged for early stage startups? Totally. It's honestly never too early. You don't need a you know, $500,000 agency engagement to like figure this stuff out. I think what I tell like early stage companies, the first, and we are doing this and and the tail end of our process, but figure out your story, figure out your why, spend some time asking kind of the question of like, okay, what is the meta change that we want to help influence in culture, influence in society? Yes, even with our B2B product and help really kind of make a big kind of difference in, in the industry. How does that translate down to the products that we build, how we show up to our customers, to our teammates and employees? That conversation is is extremely important as a foundational step to developing community because the important part of building community, then it just becomes sort of a distribution thing, right? How can we get that story out into the world, find our tribe and get them to say it back to us, say that like, yes, I agree with that. I see that in my own career or in my own life. I want to subscribe. I want to follow. I want to go to your event or whatever, where I can learn more about that. Even without a product, right? If you're pre-product or if you're still kind of building your the foundational stages of the business, community can come first. And so we did something crazy at Gainsight. I don't recommend everyone does this. We were at Series A and we had like the sort of underpinning of a story. We knew customer success was this kind of net new thing that people weren't really talking about. But there was an underserved community of people that were called customer success managers. And they were tasked with churn you know, mitigation and, and hitting the renewal target and upsell. But there was no brand that was really serving that audience or trying to resource them or advance the, the, their interests. And so we did a, a weird thing. We hosted an event pretty early on. Again, it was a little bit of a bet from a financial perspective. But we hosted an event for customer success people all about customer success, not about us, not about our, our brand, not about our products. And we brought some speakers leveraging a lot of our relationships in the venture world and, and other places. And it became this like huge moment for the industry. We almost like kicked off our, our community effort there. And this like no name brand got 300 CSMs in a room in San Francisco to actually validate and say back that, yes, I... I feel seen. I feel like, you know, you guys are are speaking my language effectively. So maybe don't do a conference in your first two, three quarters as a company. But the spirit of that is have your story, figure out the best way to get it out into the world, get the feedback that you need, and then start building your audience around that story, whether it's subscriptions, you know, on your sort of own media site, whether it's followership on social, whatever it is. And I think that'll serve you really well as you move forward and then build your marketing and sales plan on top of that, on top of how can we go and just scale this to that next kind of next level. Hey, it's Anna, the host of Modern Startup Marketing, the show that you're listening to. I'm also the founder of Firminov Marketing Consulting. People call me the Marie Kondo of startup marketing because I help early stage startups clean up their marketing mess with the right strategy and execute with laser focus. 
Just wanted to let you know that you can get a marketing audit and custom roadmap to help you start seeing more traction from your marketing efforts. To learn more, go to firmanovmarketing.com slash pricing. And now back to this episode. Yeah, I love it. Okay, that's really helpful. One thing I wanted to kind of dive into as well, as we talk about social media, we talked about social media, that there's different ways to corral the people around your movement, your story, right? And one of the ways is social media. Mm -hmm. Um, Very, I would say for many of the startups that I work with, I'm like, you got to be on social media. Where's your target audience on social media? Well, you got to be on there as part of your organic content marketing efforts. So hooking people on social media for, because social media is for demand creation, Mm -hmm. right? You're not, People aren't there to buy your stuff. They're not there to buy your product. They're there to get some learnings, to get educated, to get inspired, to get entertained. That's where you go to do that, to talk about your movement and your beliefs and your point of view. So you hook them on social media, but then you got to bring them back, right? Now, this is coming back to the conversation that we just had. Like, You want to have the first person data. You want to bring them back to the web, your website and demand capture. Demand creation on social media, demand capture on your website. How would you say, what's the best, how is it best to run this play? And any examples of um, someone that's doing this well? Because here's what happens for personally for me. And also I've seen like across working with startups is it's much easier to just stay on that social platform and get things done there. Have those conversations, have those direct messages bringing them back somewhere else is just not as easy, but yeah. you still want to capture that demand. So what's the best way to run this play? Well, I'd say also uh, stay tuned for more on Audience Plus uh, for that. But generally, as I think about social media as a whole, I agree. I think, and I'll, I'll try to give some specific examples here, but deplatforming that followership, that audience onto your own platform is sort of one kind of main use case for social. Like, look, your audience is there. Like they're already there. So it'd be foolish for us to not have a presence there, not try to get distribution and reach there, but then driving it back to our property and can give some specific examples there. Second, it's like, this is the marketplace of, of ideas and conversation. Like if your CEO, if your founder, if whoever is not active on social media, we're just missing an opportunity to really participate in the, you know, the discussion that's happening in and around your industry. And so I definitely encourage that to happen. Uh, the third is actually paid media. Like, remember, these are all advertising platforms. All of these social media networks, all of these content networks like Spotify and YouTube and everything, they are advertising networks. And so I will never say, you know, don't invest there. In fact, you might want to invest even more in amplifying your content, amplifying anything that would help option A and option or objective A and objective B. So zooming back to deplatforming, what we talked about earlier was how can you sort of convert them. And I think, you know, exclusive content was one thing of saying, look, as as a community, like we give away a ton of content, we reserve some stuff that's exclusive just to subscribers, by the way, it's free. So click here to subscribe. That's one kind of big, big carrot. You know what a lot of folks are doing, and I think the company that comes to mind for me is Gong. They've done an amazing job on LinkedIn specifically, like writing posts on LinkedIn, amplifying their employees to actually create content on LinkedIn, sending that traffic to a blog post, And then in their case, they have a content offer that I believe is gated, that is relevant to that specific post. But they've kind of done this for years now. And they've really nailed that motion of like leveraging the LinkedIn audience, getting them to your blog, dropping that first party cookie, and then a good 
proportion of those folks go on and, and click the content offer. So again, I think in general, some stuff is changing there around gated content, but for them, you know, they've built a pretty good model there. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from on that side of the house. But all that to be said, I think this is an emerging play. This is something that we're all learning together. And so how we do this is something that we're going to figure out quickly, because I think that what the media networks are incentivized to have us not do this, right? They want, they'd give us the email address of our followers if this wasn't such a problem, right? And I think what we're saying as an industry is we want to benefit from the value that these networks provide, but we need the data. We can't go on and just say like four likes and two retweets. And like that's helpful, but that's not helpful. We can't. Helpful. We can't yeah. go on. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Let's talk actually a little bit about the places that you've worked at. I'm just yeah. curious because you're bringing this thinking of, you know, you grew up not watching what other marketers were doing in the B2B space. You're getting your inspiration from elsewhere. And you're more B2C spirited, right? Versus B2B ruled. <laughs> so in your past roles, like CMO of Hopin and Front and Box and just these different places, what kinds of things were you doing that ties back into this conversation? I'm just curious, like what worked pretty well for you for, for gaining control of your audience and having that data and having that information and, have, and being able to email them, for example? Yeah, totally. So I'll give you one like different example for each company. At Gainsight, we wanted to be the sort of lifestyle brand for people that were doing customer success. So we wanted to be like a companion in their career, not just a software provider. So the major program that we did was that one event I mentioned became a franchise for us called Pulse. And we did a number of things under the Pulse umbrella, including an event that scaled in San Francisco to over 6,000 people at Moscone Center sister events in the UK and Australia. We did virtual event programs throughout the year as well. We organized local small groups in cities around the world. We said, look, we've got this audience data. We know how many CSMs are in Atlanta. Let's find a local president that wants to like develop their own kind of professional brand, enable them to be successful and drive emails into local meetups that are happening in those various markets. So we did, a num we even recorded a hip hop song all about customer success. That one, a little bit harder to measure the impact of. But the point is like, we sort of invested in the exchange of best practices, the facilitation of community, and sort of the, this posture of championing this role, this persona. And through all that, the Gainsight brand through Pulse became synonymous with customer success. And we had a ton of people that would subscribe to our thought leadership that either weren't going to buy ever, like hopefully they do at some point, but they just wanted to be part of what we were building. Or so a lot of folks said, I'm going to be a Gainsight customer one day. They never saw a demo of the product. They just knew they wanted to be a part of the movement that we were creating. So I think that's the most like on the nose example. At Front, you know, I was only there for about 15 months at Front, but a big part of what we were doing was we launched this media property called Front Page. Front had a ton of product IP. Like they were known as an amazing product-led company so we wanted to bring a little bit of that brand IP in. And so through this media property, we launched like podcast programs. We launched like a video series with our founder, started producing editorial content more regularly on the blog. So that was, again, a short kind of tenure there. But those are some of the pieces that we were doing to say, what does our Disney Plus look like at front, right? And, and how do we start kind of building some of that content to get there? But the one that I think is obviously freshest for me is, is Hopin. 
And we spent a lot of time talking about our why. And that's something that stands out to me, this idea of like, virtual events are this utility during a pandemic. And, you know, it's just this way to sort of connect ourselves and feel better. But we started asking, like, why do people want to feel connected? And especially when we have geographic barriers to our ability to find connection, that it isn't just connection that we're after. It's this feeling of closeness to feel closer to someone that you otherwise wouldn't be able to feel to access, um, to feel closer to an idea that you otherwise wouldn't be able to really learn from. And all of these things led us to this brand identity or, or this brand strategy around feeling closer. And we started activating that out through a lot of our content and got some great, great feedback from people that struck them on this emotional cord. And so when you look at this sort of like long tail of virtual event platforms, you know, from a utility perspective, there's like a billion and a half of them. We were the ones that I think were facilitating this community around closeness and starting to get a lot of good kind of momentum behind that, that idea. So different things at each company, a lot of overlap between them. But I think the the core learning going back to your first question is these are things B2B marketers aren't often thinking about. We're talking about MQLs and, you know, paid media, you know, acquisition and, you know, all that. And it's, it's good. It's important. But I think this is like the next gen type stuff that becomes activated through the B2B playbook. But without this, we're sort of missing, I think, the opportunity to really connect with an audience and build a community, which I think is going to be the way we fuel growth in this next chapter. That's powerful. Two things that you said were pretty powerful, and I want to bring them back up again real quick. So that Gainsight, there were people that never even saw the demo. They just knew that they wanted to work with Gainsight. They knew they wanted to partner. They wanted to be part of the movement. That's really powerful because what we do in our companies is we create these processes. First, we go on social media, then we create awareness, then we build top of funnel, then we want people to hop to our website, then we want them to fill out that form, then we want them to s- request a demo, then the sales team will meet with them, then we, you know, the SDR first, make sure that they're a good fit, then we pass them over to the AE, then the AE. It's like a horrible <laughs> process that nobody likes on the other end. This is something that people like on the other end. They want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. They want to be inspired by stuff. They want to feel heard. And they never even saw this demo and they knew they wanted to be part of this movement. Like that's really powerful marketing. Totally. And then the other thing that you said was we at front you asked yourselves the question, what does our Disney Plus look like? I like that question too. Like if people can say, what does our Disney Plus look like? Yeah. That is pretty powerful from a Instead of saying, well, what kind of content is going to drive MQLs this quarter? Or what's our pillar content for this year? What are the big pillars that we're going to... What does our Disney Plus look like is a very different question. And yes, forces, that mantra of like the medium is the message, right? Like how can we think about the different mediums and the way we distribute, the way we present all this rich content to our audience? That's a, a compelling framework that's different than you know, what is the performance marketing, like, you know, list of content we have to just bang out over the next six months just to increase demo requests. Like it's, it's a different kind of mentality and it doesn't take away from that other strategy too, which is kind of interesting. It's like, you can prioritize the content themes, optimize that stuff for SEO, but you're doing it through this editorial lens that is is much more authentic and much more engaging for your audience. Yeah. Much more media company like yeah. than the other way. Yeah. What about if we 
kind of take this conversation to engagement with your content. And you had mentioned it's not about the likes, it's not about the reshares, it's not about those numbers as much as it should be. Like those are fine. People are engaging with your stuff. Hopefully the right people are engaging with your stuff on social media. And it's important, but engagement with your content is actually important an important leading indicator to every business outcome. It's not just top of funnel. So what are your thoughts on that? Like if people are engaging with your content, it's a leading indicator, not just, oh, people are now aware, but it should be a leading indicator to more than than that, like the sale or the renewal or expansion. And how do we think about that? Yeah. How do we tie that together? Well, the challenge with it today is we're typically using web analytics to understand data around content consumption, right? We're looking at how many impressions did that blog post get? How many listens on Spotify did that podcast get or views on YouTube did that video get? And for the most part, all of those metrics are completely disconnected from the marketing tech stack, right? Like we can't actually understand who is doing what until they subscribe or until they, you know, I'm using subscribe until they opt into our marketable database and we've dropped a first party cookie and we can see a lot of that engagement data more clearly. So when you think about the full spectrum of content that we're creating, we've got sort of the early stage awareness-oriented content, the how-to articles, like those types of things. And those are really helpful early indicators to some type of new pipeline creation, potentially, you know, a deal. We've got our customer testimonials. You know, we've got some of our customer stories. We even have content about our product and about the value that our product is sort of unlocking and product education-oriented content. So this idea of intent overlaid across the entire content kind of roadmap is really interesting. And if we're able to actually understand at an individual level or at an account level, like what are people doing with our thought leadership across these different subject matters, that insight is super helpful for everyone. It's helpful for an SDR that wants to book a meeting. It's helpful for an AE that's trying to close that deal this quarter and get in the the mind of what is the prospect thinking about. It's helpful for a, a new customer who is learning about the product and wants to drive better adoption and get and get more usage out of the product. It's better for a CSM that has a big renewal coming up. And if they're if they have a customer that's at risk and they're on your own media property, like looking at things like um, how to articles around compensation, these are insights that could help create a valuable conversation with that that customer that helps secure the renewal. So that's one way to think about it, I think is like the subject matter, the sort of engagement data around it and how we sort of draw insights. Second one is the format. Are people willing to read a blog post or listen to a, a podcast that's super insightful? Are they willing to show up in person to an event that you're doing? Are they willing to pay you $2,000 to go to your conference or whatever you know it is that you're doing? I think the formats give you uh, another sort of lens on just how engaged are they? And then the third part I would add is, are they talking to each other? This is the one, the one big piece that I think a lot of folks are saying separate sort of audience building from community is, are they actually interacting with other members in your community around these topics? Because that's a good signal of they're leaning in, they're engaged. And again, it, I think it impacts the entire life cycle. So I think those are kind of the, the ways to sort of think about that. But again, I think the problem is we've been locked. We've been thinking about this through the web analytics world and through the SEO only framework versus thinking about content as content community and events and this this entire kind of thought leadership investment as a way to influence your entire business. 
Yeah, you're right. And so I think of like marketing, that's where it can be so effective. If you don't just think of it as a top of funnel and you're just looking at like, how many website visitors did we get today? How many people read our blog articles this quarter? And just focusing on the MQLs and top of funnel stuff, it really should be useful to figure out like, what's that intent that people have, the engagement. So now that they're engaged, what's their intent? And it's overlaid across the content roadmap. And it's helpful across different teams across the organization, not just marketing. And that's where you get closer to the the revenue number or the building pipeline, building... But it has to come not just from marketing because there's different teams. You have to kind of align it across the entire organization. And that can be hard to do, right? That can be hard to do. What are your thoughts on creating this like team... Yeah. approach to marketing is not just top of funnel. We're actually creating stuff and we're with you yeah. as you figure things out, like the intent for this person. Maybe now's the right time to talk to them and what's a helpful content piece, like article to give to them at what point in time and who takes over. Yeah. What are some things you've learned that works well? Yeah. You know, I, I the way I answer this question is typically met with controversy sometimes because people don't always agree with me. That's okay. We like controversy on this show. (laughs) I believe marketing is a servant leadership organization. And for a lot of folks, like, wait a minute, what do you mean? Like, we're the authority, we have the data. And and I think that's true that we do have insights and data that we can bring to the table. But we need to take a posture of service leadership, uh, servant leadership, as we look at the other organizations that we're working with within marketing, because almost every marketer is measured on pipeline. And so we think about the incentives that we're measured by are already disconnected from what the company actually needs or what the true value that marketing can provide. So I, in almost every marketing role I've been in, I've started by saying sales team. I need to get to know sales, marketing sales alignment. I need to build trust and relationship with my sales leader. We need to you know, provide value and early wins for the sales team. And again, that's all true, again, through the lens of servant leadership. But we're not talking to customer success nearly enough as we are talking to sales. We don't have that same like marketing customer success alignment kind of push from the CEO down. And increasingly, like that is the place that marketing's influence can be most felt and most appreciated. So in product would be another group, right? In terms of what insights are we learning from the market that's feeding into the product team? How are we thinking about supporting the product-led growth initiative that for many companies rolls into product? So what I have found has worked best is literally to just not think about marketing through this sort of marketing sales alignment constraint that we have on our impact. I'd come into an organization and and sort of say, hey, this is who we are. This is what we believe as a team. We're here to serve and help us collectively win as an organization. We're going to bring ideas to the table. Typically, we'll own the tech stack and so we'll have a ton of operational kind of support that we can provide. And while that might be a bit hurtful on the ego, it always results in better relationship and better outcomes for the business. So anyway, that's my point of view on it. Why are people against this servant leader? Is it because marketers like to be seen as like CEOs of the company? I think there's this like us versus them mentality. That oh, okay. Them, like the leads will say like, you guys sales, you're not following up the leads the right way. And then we'll say, and they'll say, well, the quality of the leads suck. Like you're not giving me enough, like, you know, folks within our target audience, they're not converting or they're not responsive. Like, well, we can look at Salesforce and say, these are all the touches that you guys did or an outreach or whatever to actually follow up with that lead. And that's not what we talked about. 
But what I've learned is like that conversation is just poison for like the culture in general. And if left unchecked and you brought a CEO in the room to make the call, they will always choose sales's intuition over marketing's data. It's just like a matter, a fact of life, unfortunately. And I've tried to be on the other side of this. And I think until we sort of took this new approach and said, well, it's not really about us being right. It's about us finding a way to win through that and through those other groups. And we're humans, right? We want more marketers. We care about, you know, how we show up and our kind of influence within the organization. So I think that's where the rub typically is. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for talking through kind of your experiences and also just the way that you think about marketing and how to create this alignment, not just with sales, but across the organization so that it impacts the company. Okay. So we've talked about a lot. I wanted to ask you about what you're building. <laughs> what what are you building? We probably touched on a lot and you even gave a little teaser. We're like, well, just you wait because we're building something and it's going to really help out folks that are trying to do this content marketing, yeah. but also measuring and, and figuring out how to track what's working. So what are you building? Can you tell the yeah. me more and the audience? No one else is here, right? This is just us recorded line. Like we're good. We're okay, good. good. good, good. Uh, so look, this is actually the first podcast I've done under the header of Audience Plus. In fact, depending on when this comes out, Audience Plus isn't even uh, on LinkedIn as a company or, or anything you know yet. So we're definitely early, early, early. And I think because of that, we're not ready to share everything of what we're doing. But there's sort of two components that you're going to hear a lot from us probably about the time this airs in September. So one is... We care deeply about this idea of companies becoming media companies. Obviously, I spent a lot of time in this episode kind of talking through that. And we want to build three things to help enable that. The first is content. And so we're launching in September our own media platform, our own Disney Plus, as it were, with our own original shows. We have some influencers that are producing shows on our network. And really around this idea of how do we resource content teams, marketers, other folks that are trying to build media operations into their go-to-market. And our intention with that content is to educate the market and to start getting this conversation more in the, the sort of mainstream within marketing. So content is the first thing we're investing in. Second is community. And so through that, as you can tell through the conversation, you know, we want to gather like-minded people who are thinking about this and want, you know, admittedly, all of us are figuring it out together. So it's not coming from a place of saying we have it all figured out, but we want to create programming and get folks together to have conversation around how this is evolving, what are we learning from the front lines, and how can we go and kind of move this new movement forward into the next chapter. And the third thing is the underlying platform. So we, we're building technology to kind of help solve this problem as well. That's the thing we're not like terribly ready to talk about yet, but I think early next year is when we're going to be able to reveal that. Currently, we're just working with some amazing kind of alpha customers, design partners that are helping us kind of build the initial product, validate a lot of these use cases, drive towards product market fit, learning a lot of these words from uh, as a marketer now, now turned founder. But that's, I think, where we're headed is we think there's a opportunity for owned media to be this thing we're all talking about in 2023 and beyond. So you're essentially creating a company that's going to make it easier for companies to become media companies, for them to be able to access a platform like kind of like Disney Plus, but it's not Disney Plus and it's going to be custom tailored for the company. Something like that. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I think that's right. I think in general, we want to build sort of the underlying platform for owned media for the next chapter of, of marketing. And we think through that, you'll be able to build your own audience. You'll be able to engage that audience and you'll be able to drive community-led growth into this next chapter. So that's the tools of today are not really accounting for that. We're still stuck in this like form-based world that is has worked so far, but it's starting to flatline a little bit and um, paid media is getting more expensive more competitive, even on earned media, right? Getting your story told in PR and journalism is so hard to get it told the right way. And so I think there's this sort of renaissance happening for owned media. And we want to be the place where that conversation happens, where that community gathers and the enabling kind of technology platform to make that happen. Awesome. Well, I can't wait. I mean, you come from a background with category creation under your belt. So I am expecting some of that to come again with this company right? With Audience Plus. So I am looking forward to hearing more when that tech is ready and you're looking to share more about what you're building. I'm excited for you. So I like to end the episode with always, or I try to ask my guest, what question do you have for me? Is there anything that you have on your mind that you want to ask me? Well, congrats on the success of this podcast, by the way, and all, all the work that you've done with it. It's humbled to be on here and be able to share our story. I'm curious, what, what have you learned in terms of starting a podcast program, growing a podcast program, how that's been influencing kind of your world? And, and if you see any kind of community-led insights kind of through this channel? Oh, so I started the podcast October 20th, end of October 2020. Oh. And I have 108 episodes now, soon to be 109. And I think the biggest thing that I learned is I'm a one person business. Like I'm a solopreneur and I can do it. And what does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? I'm a marketer and a host of a podcast and I can do it. And it's pretty powerful because I've basically got my own platform and I can say what I want and I can bring people on to say things that, you know, they want to say. And I feel like the sky is the limit. So for a solopreneur, if the sky is the limit, imagine what it could do for a company with more resources than me, for startups, for small, medium businesses, for enterprise, for whoever, right? Because it's small to big that need to get on this becoming your own media company trend. What I've learned is that it's doable. It's possible given the tools that I have, given the people that I work with, the companies that I partner with to produce the podcast, to produce video clips. I don't do any of that. I come on, I talk to you for an hour, and then I'm basically done. Yeah. Um, I use Trello for some project management to like give it to my producer to give the video clips. And I take notes during the show so I know what video clips I have in mind. But the amount of work was a lot more in the beginning and now it's just automatic. So I think that's probably my biggest learning that it is so doable where I was just like, oh my gosh, what am I getting into? I have no idea. Is this even going to work? But it's so doable and it's part of what, like I actually love doing this stuff. So you must be someone that loves doing it. If you don't like talking to people, if you don't like recording yourself, if you don't like talking about topics that are interesting to you on a weekly basis, putting out the content, sharing it with people. I think we're all growing as, you know, because of this, because I'm able to like harness the community I have and then build more on top of what people's thoughts are. So 
that's my experience. Yeah, for a lot of people, just getting started is the hardest part. And so hearing that that this is doable is just a huge, huge point of validation. So that's great. It's very doable. You just need a glass of wine for that first one. (laughs) And then the rest is history. So Anthony, thank you so much for your time. I had a great time talking to you and learning from you and also learning about what you're building. The secret's out now. So, (laughs) hey, people are going to find out once the episode airs. And I just want to come back and just say, like, you shared a lot of really cool things. That's why it's called Modern Startup Marketing, because you shared some things that are kind of like the forward thinking ideas that you have. It's like there are new approaches. Let's get out of the mud and start thinking about those new approaches and invest in certain things. They're coming anyway. Like there's no way to stop it, right? What does our Disney Plus look like? What does it look like when people don't even need to see your demo and they just want to be part of your movement? Like that stuff is really powerful. And I'm glad that you came on the show to talk about it. So if anybody wants to find Anthony, he's on LinkedIn. A Canada, I'll leave the link in the show notes and you can check out more on Audience Plus, although it's just one page and you just sign up to stay in the loop, audienceplus.com. By the time this comes out, you can subscribe to our thought leadership and be a part of what we're building. So super excited about that. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you, Anthony, so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Anna Firmanov, or go to my website, firmanovmarketing.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.